today, my guest is Emily Ling, a former lawyer who currently produces insightful videos with her partner for their YouTube channel, M and Lloyd. I stumbled upon their channel while searching for videos about law and ended up hungrily consuming a lot of their content. Emily is a creative storyteller and a great teacher who has a lot of wisdom to share, so I'm excited to have her as my first guest. Emily, thank you so much for being my first guest. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today. Thank you so much for being my first podcast. It is a pleasure. It's such a huge honor. So let's start with your beginnings in law. So you pursued a career in law, but pretty early on, you realized that it wasn't for you, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to in different industries. I find it refreshing that you gave it a chance, even though it didn't feel like the right fit. How much have you changed since that transition? Quite a lot. I think a big difference is that since quitting, I have had, for the first time, a lot more mental space and energy to think about what I want, because I really, since I decided on law school at 17, and obviously as a teenager, your brain isn't even fully formed yet. So, and then it it was sort of the grind. Law school, you get a job, then you get your license. There's quite limited mental space for me to think about what I wanted. And also really, I think, to look at my own strengths and weaknesses as a person, because given the rigidity of law school and being a lawyer in the sense that there was a lot of structure. You do become aware of your strengths and weaknesses, but I think once you're really left to your own devices, it really highlights that there is nowhere else to hide. I think that was also something that was very interesting for in terms of me working with Lloyd as my partner, because of course, in a relationship, we were aware of each other's strengths and weaknesses. But then once we start working together, there's, there's no place to hide. You really see everything. So I think that the biggest change is I've probably become more in tune with what is meaningful to me as a person and also what my strengths and weaknesses are. And my self-awareness has also improved. It's a great answer. And it must have been interesting for you to go through so many different transitions from law and then starting a YouTube channel. And you started a YouTube channel while you were still a lawyer. And then you had to transition from that and create different kinds of content after you quit law. So I'm sure all of those things, like a roller coaster of emotions, was was fascinating to you and probably very good for self-growth. Yes, I think it was definitely a big challenge. And it was there were some things which were predictable, but I think most of it wasn't. So I think we started creating... Oh, interestingly, it was actually over a year before I actually resigned that Lloyd and I decided we want to try a YouTube channel, try making a YouTube channel, because both of us are huge fans of video content. But at the time, I then changed to my last job. And as the hours were very demanding, we decided to shelve the idea. But then the idea just kept gnawing at us. So we thought that we, one year later, I think mid-2021, we thought we would just start buying equipment, just testing everything around. And of course, it was initially, it was quite difficult and tricky to sort of learn everything while also working my usual job as a lawyer. But I think it gave It was very meaningful to me, I think, to finally seriously pursue something I was very interested in on the side. Since then, I think it was a few months later, I resigned. And that was, the uh, the two were not quite linked. I had already planned on resigning uh, earlier that year, but I was sort of just seeing when felt right. Like I mentioned in my most recent video, a roller coaster, but you're blindfolded is probably the best way to put it. Exactly. Yeah. I like what you said about an idea gnawing at you. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that, where you have some kind of dream where you're curious about something, but then you shelf it because you're busy with life, but it keeps 
knocking on your door. And I think those ideas are the ones we should definitely pay attention to, even if we're busy. Just even a few minutes a day, a day of like, dedicating your time to it can really help with discovering a new world of opportunities for yourself. I fully agree with that. It was, I think it was something very interesting that I realized after I started work because people didn't really talk in law school about potentially pursuing something else because was, everyone was just about, oh, I have to be a lawyer. But then I realized that after being a lawyer, a lot of people had a lot of different passions where they thought about regularly if they should pursue it. For instance, I reconnected with an old classmate of mine previously who decided to pursue her dream of becoming a pastry chef. And she did that instead. And now she I mean, she makes, in my opinion, the best sourdough in Hong Kong, and she's just opened up her first shop. So I think that's, it's the difference between just letting an idea not you for potentially decades, which is what I have seen in some people in the industry versus just trying it out. I think also at the same time, you don't necessarily have to quit to pursue something. It, it could be very much that some something is meant to just be a hobby, but it's very fulfilling. So it's something that you make time for in your life to pursue regularly, but maybe you don't want to make an income out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Now that YouTube is becoming more of a full-time thing for you when you have law as well, you, you entered the law industry in a different way again. Are there any other hobbies that fulfill you that don't bring in any money, but just give you joy? Yes. I think uh, generally speaking, I do love, although this one is still something I'm not very good about consistently, I do love drawing and painting. And I was wondering for a while if that was something that I wanted to pursue in terms of making an income. But I think that one is probably best left for me to enjoy as a hobby. Also, the, uh, Lloyd and I are both very physically active. And then we've also both toyed with the idea of whether or not we would like to move into the fitness industry in some capacity. But I think it's a, I mean, we have, I think maybe due to a broad spectrum of interest, we have a lot of, a lot of ideas all the time. But I think that one, as of now, is still just more of a hobby. I think those are the two main ones that come to mind, particularly drawing, because that was something that I loved since I was very young. Before law school sort of cropped up, I was considering going to art school as a teenager. Fascinating. Yeah, we're on the same page there. I was also interested in going to art school. I wanted to take mm -hmm. art classes, just didn't have the opportunity at the time. But yeah, for me as well, I don't think I could pursue drawing professionally, but it just gives me a lot of joy to do it in my free time. Yes. There's something therapeutic about it. But what do you like to draw generally? So I have played with all mediums, but I think I still like sketching best. Just okay. uh, just pencil. Although I do also quite enjoy watercolor, but I think just sketching, I think nothing. I think the difficulty sometimes is I place too high expectations on myself and then I never end up drawing anything. And then sometimes I'm just like, just pick up a pencil, don't make it complicated. Yeah, for me as well. I usually draw portraits. And so, I mean, portraits is difficult with proportions, right? And so as mm -hmm. soon as a proportion is off, I get frustrated. I feel a dragon awakening inside of me and I have to calm it down. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I think it's maybe something in the creative process where you start off and you're like, oh, this this seems this seems pretty good. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is horrible. This is, I absolutely hate it. But speaking of the creative process, your videos are very creative. You and Lloyd often collaborate, but sometimes you make videos on your own and Lloyd makes his mm -hmm. own videos. What is the prep preparation process like? Like how much time goes into writing a script and do you go back and forth? Are you a perfectionist with that? That's a very interesting question because it's changed a lot over time, especially as Lloyd and I learned more about how each of us work because we're actually very different personalities. I think as we sort of each developed our own creative voice, that also became more apparent. 
But the process now is usually for our individual solo videos, they, the ideation is, a, is generated in one person. Whereas for dual videos, sometimes it's something we discuss. Sometimes it's something we come up with together. But we do, we use Notion a lot and we do have a giant idea dump in there. I think the tricky part actually is not just talking about YouTube all the time because we love YouTube, but then all, all talk becomes work talk. There's a fair amount of back and forth. But for in terms of the actual creative process, I'm more the visual person. Lloyd is more of an audio person. So that's generally how we divvy up the labor, I guess you can say it. Okay, that's interesting. I think it's really good to have a partner with whom you can collaborate, especially someone who has a different personality, because then you can mm. both contribute equally in different ways and make your videos more dynamic. And that is very evident in your channel. So. I think that what is very helpful is having someone to bounce ideas off of. Sometimes we... We stress test ideas because, for instance, I think a lot of the content we watch on YouTube is actually quite different. But if the other person thinks it's still interesting, even though it's not the typical kind of content they would watch, then I think that's a that's a good indicator that it may be a good idea. Right. Yeah. And you've been together for quite a while, right? So you can be very honest with each other. If yes. something doesn't work, you can say, ah, I just don't like that. <laughs> I think in the beginning, it was more like how not to communicate too bluntly. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I think that's an issue in many relationships. But yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, you work really well together. So that's very uplifting. Quitting a job is an emotional roller coaster, as you said, and sometimes it feels like you're blindfolded as well during the process, which is even scarier. But I think leaving an entire industry is a completely different matter. What were your initial emotions like after quitting? And do you have any tips for people who have quit and are feeling emotional? I think... For me personally, first, uh, my initial emotions were, it was actually a little more bittersweet than I expected because I felt like it had been a moment that I had been sort of waiting for on the edge of my seat for over a decade. Essentially, if we're going back to the fact that I felt unsure even in law school. But it was a bit bittersweet, I guess, because I did have a very good relationship with the people I worked with who were very nice about me leaving and it was a huge part of my life, even though I didn't want to continue with it. Maybe a, a part of me also did feel a bit relieved. But I think the main thing was that I felt like I could breathe for the first time. But then I also, it, and it took some time for me to realize, I also crashed a bit because I realized, I didn't realize at the time, but I was actually very burned out. Part of it was not really so much necessarily the industry, but I think there were some, the impact of COVID changed the way we worked. The changes burned both me out as well as Lloyd in the sense that we sort of, it became normal to be on call 24-7. So I think it was, a, it was a mix of a lot of emotions, both good and bad. Tips for people who quit and are feeling emotional. I think that in retrospect for me, the important thing was my biggest takeaway, which I didn't do as well as I would have liked because I didn't realize that I was burned out, was to take care of yourself and not be so hard on yourself. I think for me, I was thinking, okay, well, I've quit this, so I must immediately move on to the next thing and try to get that off the ground as fast as possible, but without giving myself more space mentally and emotionally to process everything. Yeah, I think it's really important to give yourself that space. And it's interesting to hear that you were relieved, but that you also kind of crashed. Because I think once you realize, oh, I don't have all this pressure from this job, you feel relieved. But then all of the pent up emotions that were there while you were working probably are released as well at the same time. So it can be a huge mixture of different emotions and feelings. So 
I can understand how you felt back then. And that's a great tip too, by the way. What is the most important thing you learned from your experience as a lawyer? I would think that on the, on maybe on the practical side, I think it is learning to sort of manage problem solving without panicking. I think because that is generally applicable. I think, I mean, I think that skill is helpful now because of course, in the past two years, things are way more open-ended. I think it's easy to panic and then sort of spiral, I think. But probably from my experience as a lawyer, not so much from the legal part, is that I think it's important not to idealize any one occupation or way of living. That's sort of what Lloyd and I quite cared about in terms of why we started making the content we were making. Because I think, you know, all, all jobs have their pros and cons. And I think a lot of the issues come from, I was just actually having a conversation with one of the lawyers I now work with um, about the issue of idealizing something. And then when you go into something, you're not prepared mentally. So yeah, I think not idealizing because I think staying realistic is important. I think you can stay realistic, but also strive to find something you want to do that's meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. There's a wealth of information out there. So if somebody's interested in a particular industry, I think it's very important to do the research first and to see what somebody's life is like. You have posted many day in the life videos in which you're realistic. And I think, yeah, glamorizing an industry can lead to a lot of disappointment in the long run. So yeah, it's definitely good to consume that content. And also it's great that you're putting out honest and realistic content as well. Sometimes I think about the fact that it's too bad I didn't grow up with YouTube. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, if we had YouTube when we were younger, it would have been amazing, right? Things would have been definitely much more different. But I think going back in time, what it would have been really helpful without, I mean, even just taking social media out of the equation would be if I had gotten to talk to a lawyer who isn't I mean, I don't know what, how this would have come about, but one who wasn't just talking in sort of like a PR capacity and sort of making the job very PR appropriate and just seeing what it actually looks like. Yeah, the results would have been very different, I'm sure. What are the signs that a certain career isn't right for someone? Mm, this is a good question. Someone asked me that in the comments of my most recent video. But I think that it really boils down to if you feel like the pros outweigh the cons or not. Because I also recognize that everyone's motivations are different. It's not, not really so much a matter of whether I agree with someone's motivations, but if what they are gaining, feel like they're gaining from the job is not enough to overcome what they feel like they are quote unquote losing or maybe giving to the job, then I think there is an issue there. And also, I guess, constantly having to convince yourself that the job is the right choice, probably also not a good sign. But I also recognize that in some circumstances that liking the job is not necessarily the only consideration. So after thinking about it a bit, I think it is a matter of whether the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, every industry is different, so it's difficult to give a specific answer, but those are good guidelines to keep in mind when you're feeling a bit confused. I think even just feeling confused about something is already a sign that you should find a solution or talk to someone or maybe even quit if it comes to that. I think for me, it was a matter of a 
the big first step was actually just actively thinking about it because it's like, oh, I don't really like this. And I sort of like, I'm tired. So I shovel it away for later. And then, and then three years pass. Yeah. If it's an uncomfortable feeling, especially when you've dedicated so much of your time to it, and it's a new feeling that you feel awakening inside of you can be quite intimidating and you're already tired. I mean, back then you were working so much. So of course you didn't want to spend your free time thinking about quitting and then go back to work the next day. <laughs> that just would have been miserable. So I understand. Just want to go home and watch Netflix. <laughs> exactly. By the way, do you have any favorite shows that you are currently watching? Ooh, what am I watching at the moment right now? I go through phases where sometimes I watch a lot. I'm going through a phase now where I'm watching less Netflix and more YouTube, actually. What am I enjoying on Netflix? Currently watching, uh, my husband and I both like watching anime together. That's one of our, there's some that we watch individually, but then some we like to designate as a joint show. So it's, it's the latest season of Jujutsu Kaisen. Not a whole lot of shows, just I can, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that I can only name YouTube channels off the top of my head and no shows on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, you're a YouTuber now, so that makes sense. You're supporting others and you're also, I think, learning from other people. I also try to yes. consume content, especially podcasts, and it really helps mm -hmm. with just even subconsciously, you start to absorb that other person's expertise <laughs> in a way. You see the way that they function or the way that they speak to the camera and can also help you improve your skills. And speaking of YouTube, you've already produced over 60 videos for it. In your opinion, what would make a good YouTuber or what qualities does a good YouTuber need to have? I like this question because my answer to this would have been very different from even a year ago, I think. Because I think in the past year given that we sort of moved a little more away from the law content and spent more time trying to find our voice. So I think my answer before would have been more about, and not that this isn't true, but would have been more about consistency, which I think is still, is still true to an extent. But I do think that what does make a good YouTuber is someone who puts in the time and finds a way to connect with their audience. Because I think that this is, I think the problem with the consistency point, which is something that comes up every single time you look for advice on tips for people who are just starting out on YouTube, is that a lot of times it prioritizes just putting out content for the sake of getting the reps in, which are necessary. But sometimes if you're just sort of on that flywheel of uploading every week, but you don't stop and think about what kind of feeling you want to to the audience to have when they watch your videos or what kind of value you want, what your voice is, then I think you sort of lose yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Connecting with your audience is really important in my opinion as well. And what about like if someone is new to YouTube, how important is it to specialize? Is it okay to just be general? Is it okay to post random videos? Or do you think it's important to make it clear what you like and don't like from the start? I think really as someone who formerly specialized and has gone broader, and we may end up, uh, we are in the process of trying to narrow that down, I think either is fine because it's not realistic, I think, to expect that you'll always want to make the same type of content as you change as a person. So I think if you start more specific, you may need to pivot later on because you, if you, in the event that you don't like the content anymore, which is something, of course, that you'll have to take the hit on in terms of viewership but if you go general then you get the benefit of trying out a lot of different things and then maybe figuring out what you like earlier on and want to stick to so i think there's pros and cons of both but 
in any event, I think at some point it is good to try something different because I don't think you should be afraid of trying something different. Something we struggled with for a bit was whether or not we should move away from the law content because we were aware that a lot of people came to us for the law content. So of course, pivoting away, we do have to take the proverbial hit in terms of numbers, revenue. So we were wondering, oh, is it is it bad? Are we doing a disservice also in not continuing to share information like interview tips? Or is it a matter of maybe we can find another avenue to share that kind of information, but keep our YouTube channel true to how we're changing as people? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Vanessa Lau, but she... Yes. Yes, so I remember watching a video from her in which she talked about just posting general videos at first and then seeing people's reactions to those videos and then based on that creating more specialized videos. I thought that was an interesting approach. So I think it's great that on YouTube everyone has an opportunity to express themselves in different ways and try different options. So I think that's what makes it so exciting. But I think what's intimidating is that initial fear of not sounding good enough or, you know, feeling awkward in front of the camera, which I know that everybody feels, including yourself, including myself. So how long did it take you to get over that fear? Actually, I have something quite measurable. In my most recent video, that was the first time in that portion where I talk about my journey in the middle and what I'm doing now on the side. That was the first time I was fully comfortable setting up my DSLR on a big tripod in a public place where people are staring and talking to the camera without scripting. So I, I guess if that is a measure of probably my most comfortable I've been in front of a camera, in terms of just not feeling awkward period, maybe I think probably took about a year still. I think it was a matter of practice mattered, but actually interestingly, something that made quite a big difference for us was that for a while, we did that series on reacting to the Netflix show Partner Track. And that one forced both Lloyd and myself to ad-lib in front of the camera repeatedly. So while I think that we decided that's not the kind of content we want to make, that was really good practice. So I think it is really just a matter of practice and how much you get that practice in. Right, yeah. I think putting yourself in challenging situations... It's never something anyone wants, I guess. But once you do that, you learn so much more about yourself than you would if you were always in a comfortable environment. Yes. And your recent, most recent video, I do want to point out as well that I noticed that you you look comfortable in all your videos, but in that one where you were standing in a public place, I noticed that you look very confident. So I was like, wow, I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> Thank you. That was a. You're not the only person who has said that. A, a handful of uh, good friends also made that comment, which is which is very nice because I didn't realize until afterwards that that's the first time where I actually felt comfortable and I wasn't anxiously looking at all the people around me while I was filming, even though there are definitely people staring because it was a park. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you looked so comfortable. You looked like a journalist or a news reporter and you weren't looking at anyone, people who were kind of looking in the background, but you're not paying attention to anyone around you. I would be looking over my shoulder every few seconds. <laughs> It reminds me of the first time I ever filmed outdoors, which was, I think it was maybe last spring or last, the end of last winter. I did it on a fairly secluded hike, but even then I was sweating bullets. It was cold outside, but I was sweating bullets. I was so nervous if even an occasional person would walk by. I mean, it was a weekday, so there weren't that many people. But I was so nervous I could barely start filming. So it's a, I've come a long way. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think it's it's always so nice to look back 
even just let's say a year ago you were feeling this way and now you feel confident you can stand confidently in front of the camera with people lots of people walking past you it's so gratifying to just see your skills on a different level now right i think that's actually a really good way to put it because sometimes for anything you sort of get focused on oh what i could have done better because afterwards the first thing i thought was oh i i kind of wish i stood differently and i was thinking of like all these things i could have done better and then after cutting and putting it together i was thinking okay maybe i should focus on the fact that i was actually able to do this which is a far cry from just 18 months ago instead of focusing on the minutia <laughs> exactly yeah honestly nobody notices those things i can't remember how you were standing <laughs> yeah but i understand that we sort of nitpick certain things because we're so hard on ourselves as human beings like everyone i've met so far says the same thing they tend to be really hard on themselves because they want to do a good job so that makes sense but i can really relate to what you said cuz i've been podcasting for 3 years the first year was a nervous i was a nervous wreck the whole time every single week i had an interview with a guest even if they were my friend i was also sweating bullets even though i was shooting from home and i was scared of how i sounded and then what helped was to realize that nobody listens carefully to how i sound they don't try to judge my voice or anything like that they just care about what the guest has to say so overcoming that fear kind of getting over myself helped a ton and yeah it's it's just practice right yeah that's actually very interesting to hear that that was a similar experience for you because it's not a i haven't personally met lloyd not included of course a lot of other creators yet so Actually I was curious and I mean this is sort of off topic but how did you get started podcasting? So I was working for and I'm still working for the same photography company and back then I was just writing articles and the CEO and I were brainstorming one day and I was just throwing ideas his way just for the website and I said why don't you create a podcast? And he said well, okay that's a good idea why don't you host it? <laughs> I was so scared at first but I have a lot of connections in the photography industry so I was really excited by that idea and I loved the opportunity to meet those people that I had admired for so long because even this podcast is just an excuse to meet the people that I admire to be very honest and to find out how they live and hopefully share that information with other people and so yeah that's how I started just it was my CEO's sort of push I wouldn't have done it myself that's for sure I think that's actually a good Like I guess contrast between when you're uncomfortable doing something, but there's something that also compels you to do it. So whether it's a mixture of wanting to meet certain people and someone else pushing you, and then you realizing, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm just gonna have to try. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, there needs to be, especially at the beginning, a mixture of fear and also a strong desire to overcome that fear. I guess, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to explain that to yourself in the moment. You just need to feel a mixture of both. I guess. And that's what makes it exciting when you finally do overcome that fear, right? Just pushing through even if you're scared. Exactly, exactly. You and your husband work really well together in your videos and it's always a pleasure to watch you collaborate and share your knowledge in different ways. What relationship advice would you give to people who are currently stuck in a potentially chaotic dating environment? I think this one actually the answer came to me quite quickly. I liked your questions a lot by the way. I think they were very thought-provoking. but this one i think it's really just down to communication because i think that regardless of whether you're very similar in personality or very different in personality lloyd and i are very different at least in terms of how we express ourselves but i think the most important thing is communication because no matter how similar you are it's not possible for 
any other person to understand where you're at or what you're thinking unless you communicate it. And then, of course, there's the issue of learning how to communicate in an effective manner and in a manner that is also suitable for the person receiving the whatever it is you're trying to communicate. I think for us personally, it was our communication issue sort of was highlighted when we started working together because that was a very different environment. We weren't just talking about home stuff anymore, but we had to learn to give critical feedback in a way that wasn't overly harsh. But then it also, it was how exactly do you communicate that? Because you can't, you're no longer really communicating as boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband, wife, but you're also not just colleagues. So I think it's really communication plus making it appropriate for the circumstances. Okay, that's interesting. I guess it's all about empathy and being willing to go for to understand someone else. And that can be difficult, but I think if you really care about someone, then you're willing to go the extra mile for them. But how did you know that he was the right person for you initially? I think that it was probably on the basis of, it was on the basis of the fact that we got to know each other as friends first. So we actually, interestingly, met through my younger sister who also went to law school but went to his law school. The two of us went to different law schools and they became very good friends. And then we met a short while later. And then we were friends for about a year first before we started dating. So it was just a, I mean, this might sound kind of cheesy, but I suppose it was just gut feeling, to be honest, because we actually talked about marriage just lightly, but we brought it up only a few months into dating. Okay. And we were only 23 at the time. Not that we were making any plans, but both of us sort of knew at, I think, somewhere in us that it was, I'd, we couldn't imagine exiting the relationship. That's fascinating. But that's probably the best way to put it. That's great. Because I, I know a lot of people struggle with online dating right now. And that's the whole situation. And I think definitely communication is extra important there. But it's also important to find somebody who is willing to go the extra mile for you as much as you are willing to go the extra mile for them. And so, yeah, it's really, really nice to hear your story. And I like that you started out with friends. I think good, strong relationships often are a result of friendship first. I think the thing that was nice, and it was it was both of our first experiences dating someone we were friends with first, is that we knew our a lot of the other person's weaknesses and strengths already as well, because we weren't sort of trying to create a glossy image for the purpose of dating. So I think that I think that was helpful because there was already a baseline understanding of certain things by the time we started dating. I like that answer. Yeah. You've been working on a video series called Figuring Out What's Next. And in one of your videos, which is called The Space In Between, you said that we are constantly bombarded by shoulds in our careers, in our relationships, and even general everyday things. Other than the aforementioned career should, what is a big should that you were able to overcome and how did you overcome it? I think that probably the biggest should that I overcame was that I should not make mistakes because that was something that as only until maybe a few years ago did I realize I was very much raised on the basis that I should never make mistakes rather than the fact that it's not in my opinion, I don't think it's whether or not you make a mistake that's, that is important. I actually think it's more about learning from the mistake because I think only through making mistakes, falling down proverbially, do you 
one, learn to pick yourself back up, which I think is important because life always has its ups and downs. But two, I think living always in the fear of making a mistake is also not a healthy way to live. That one was very, that was very deeply ingrained in both my sister and myself. So I think that even acknowledging small mistakes is very difficult for us. Interestingly, I guess something positive I learned unexpectedly working as a lawyer was that actually mistakes are pretty common, especially when you're starting out, everyone makes mistakes. And the important thing actually is just to own up to it and you learn from it and you move on. And then honestly, most people don't care. Exactly. Then, yeah. I've been learning a new language in the last two years. And something that I read that really helped me boost my confidence while speaking with people who speak my target language was that when you speak and you make a mistake or when you write and you make a mistake, it's important for you to understand where you went wrong after you make the mistake. So it's okay for you to make the mistake. Your brain is going to understand where you went wrong as long as you find or as long as you're told the right answer afterwards. And so that was eye-opening to me because I thought if I make a mistake, my brain's going to think this is right, this is the right answer, and it'll just keep it in its archive. But in reality, our brains are so amazing that they're able to replace our mistakes with the right information. So I think it's yeah really important to keep that in mind. That is actually, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Interesting. I never thought about that in the context of languages, but that, that entirely makes sense. I think it's, um, if you don't learn from it, I think that's the, that's the real issue because you can't address it later on. Exactly. Yeah. If you get the right answer right away or soon after you make the mistake, then your brain will just be able to replace that old information with a new one. It's like magic. The human brain and body is very amazing. I agree. What are some common mistakes that people make when starting their own YouTube channel? In terms of bigger picture, I think it is what I touched upon earlier about just putting out content for the sake of putting out content without thinking about what kind of value you want to provide or what you want to make your viewers feel. Because having also gone through a phase of that myself, it's you're sort of just running on the hamster wheel, but you may not really be getting anywhere aside from improving technical skills. And I think that was something that I experienced as a lawyer as well. I think it's just not even specific to YouTubers, but just maybe the way humans are is that it's, you get too distracted by the, what is in front of you and then you don't look further. Yeah, no, I completely agree. This is going to sound a little bit controversial, but I've seen a few videos on YouTube in which people talk about how to make money on YouTube. And oftentimes the content is related to AI and like how to make AI create videos for you. And it's just, it lacks that, lacks that spice, you know? And it lacks soul, I think. I mean, I suppose it, it maybe it may work. It works for there. There's definitely certain niches of content where I don't think it needs to have so much of that. And maybe you just want to put up volume. Not that I watch it myself, but Lloyd consumes quite a bit of gaming content and even then they put out you know many videos a day and it's um it's nothing complex but the people who do do well are people who add character to the videos via humor or whatever it is personality exactly yeah the videos that i'm drawn to and the reason i reached out to you in the first place is as long as those videos have soul in them. If you can tell that the creator wants to connect with the viewers, you know, asks them thought-provoking questions at the end of the video, or just 
you can just tell, you can just feel. There's no way to, you know, trick people into thinking that you care about them. People just feel that in their, deep in their hearts somewhere, as cliche as this sounds. Yes, no, that is 100% true. Whether it's via webcam, via a video, real life, I think it's just, it's hard to put into words, but people can tell. Exactly. You've experimented with different morning routines and the routine you had as a lawyer is very different to the routine that you have now. And recently you got back into the law industry, as you mentioned in your latest video. So what does your ideal morning routine look like now? There are, as you have seen in the video, there's still a number of things which I like to keep. But I think the biggest thing is that there is a lot more flexibility now. I think one thing that I have re-implemented is that I actually still do enjoy having my mornings. As someone who has always actually been a night owl, Lloyd and I both went through, we used to be quite consistent about the time we get up. And then over the past two years, we've experimented with, oh, maybe we wake up later and go to bed later. Because sometimes we do actually also do very good creative work at night. It's either very late at night or early in the morning for some reason. (laughs) But for me, I have preferred having my mornings again. And then now also, while I work remotely and I don't need to show up in the office at a certain time, of course, I still need to respect that other people have certain work hours and I should not randomly ask them questions at 9 p.m. since I've been on the receiving end of that (laughs) before. So I think for me, still having a morning where I don't need to rush, where I can hydrate, have my coffee, work out depending on the circumstances. And then not, I think something where I do the things that make me feel good and I don't need to rush. I think there's nothing quite as bad. And of course it still happens as rolling out of bed and then having to rush through your morning routine and then your baseline stress level when you start your day is higher. Yeah, I think rushing or just feeling uncomfortable at the beginning of your day is definitely not the best way to start anyone's day. For me as well, if I rush, if I know I have an early meeting or something, yeah, I'm not going to have a good mood. <laughs> I'm not going to be in a good mm. mood the rest of the day. But yeah, it's, it's nice to have some time to yourself. I think even extroverts will be able to relate to this. Just some time to yourself in the yes. morning can help you recharge and feel better. Some of your videos have gotten a lot of attention, like when you quit law and your daily routine videos were also quite popular. What video do you personally love the most that you've created so far? Probably the space in between, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that was my favorite because that one was one I sat on for a long time, but I didn't have the confidence to make it because I felt like I hadn't seen anything quite like that. And I had a lot of doubt around whether or not anyone would be interested in that kind of format. But one of the reasons that why I actually decided to go ahead and make it was that the YouTube channel Life of Riza hit the algorithm and she I was pushed a video of hers in a similar format. as a voiceover cinematic and shorter. And when I saw that, together with the fact that I've been sort of mulling over the same idea for six months, I decided I might as well just give it a try. And also, I think the topic is something that a lot of people I know in real life who are dealing with that in some way or another. So I feel like I think it's helpful to just even my friends in real life. I think that's that's great. Yeah, and it's always nice to receive comments from the people that you know, especially telling you, oh, this video helped me or thank you. I feel less lonely now. It's I'm sure for you as well, you get so many comments now. It's always a pleasure to receive just that kindness from other people. It's actually made a number of people that I don't talk to that frequently reach out as well. 
that I know in real life, like a former colleague of mine said, uh, she cried at the end. And I was, I was very taken aback. <laughs> but I think it was, I was happy that, I mean, I'm happy if anyone feels like they are being heard in some way or another and that they're not alone in their experience. Definitely. And for videos like that, that are more cinematic, how long does it take you from the beginning to the end to produce that? That one was a little longer than I think it would take if I were to do it again now, because it's my first time. So I think I spent two afternoons getting the footage, partially because it's so hot in Hong Kong at the time and the humidity is about 90%. So I only filmed in the mid to late afternoon. But then that one, I realized after putting it together that I needed more footage. So I went out another night, I think total probably including Lloyd's time where he does, he does all the audio. Probably hard to estimate, but definitely over 60 hours, I think. Wow. That one was a fast one to write, actually, because that one was, um, it was actually the script or the, the voiceover that I planned myself, the script, was actually based off of a journal entry of mine. So it, so the flow of that was very quick. Sometimes it takes ages to script. That was a quick one. That one was one where it was difficult to film. Okay, that's fascinating. I mean, when you think about short videos, you can't even imagine sometimes how much work it takes. The audio production, narration, the scripts. Yours was based off a journal entry, but regardless, it still took time to write your thoughts down. So all that together, I mean, it's it's a full-time job. It is. It's not our longest, that's for sure. I think our, our Weekend of Life videos took the longest to pull together. But I think that's just sort of what happens when you do something over an extended period of time. Exactly. But I think it gets easier with time, right? So Lloyd has his own process now for editing. So do you. Yes, it's definitely smoothed out over time. I suppose the what offsets that is that you want to try to do more or learn more or advance the video in some way or another. And then you sort of end up losing the time that you thought you got back. But on average, it definitely takes less time. That's good to know. Do you remember what your expectations were like when you first started the channel and have they like your current situation on YouTube, have you met your expectations or have you exceeded those expectations? So our expectations initially were just very much in line with what you see if you do your research on how to become a YouTuber, where it's it takes people an average of one year to hit 1,000 subscribers. So we were just hoping, oh, let's hope, we hope that in a year it will be a little bit over that. We passed that in six months. And I guess that was the interesting thing because we had an expected to grow as quickly as we did and then for us to also not really want to make so much pure legal career content so it was actually the stage after meeting our initial goals where we were not so clear on what we wanted so in the sense of we hit that initial milestone and surpassed it much more quickly and then we realized like oh crap we didn't think about what's next yeah i think when you don't have super high expectations it can be good because if you do hit that milestone you I mean at the same time you'll kind of panic a little bit as you did right <laughs> but that's a good thing it's good to reach your expectations and to go beyond that right and yeah it's exciting I'm really happy about your success and I really look forward to seeing all your videos in the future but I have a personal question to ask because I'm an avid reader and sometimes you mention books in your videos. What are your favorite books and what are you currently reading? Favorite book is hard, but when I saw the question, the first book that came to my mind was 
I read quite a large variety of books, but I really like the book A Little Life by, I think her name is pronounced Hanya Yanagihara. And it was actually her first novel. And it's very long, which is what put me off initially. But I've since read it three times. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a book that follows the life of four friends. And I think I found it very, it follows four friends and how the relationship changes due to a lot of influences I think are just generally relatable, whether it's um, success, wealth, uh, just pride, a lot of different human emotions. And I don't often cry when I read books, but it was a book that made me cry multiple times. And then and then I kept reading it almost, I think, in probably two-year increments. That's amazing. And are you reading anything now? Yes, I am reading something that is on the opposite end. It's a lot more lighthearted. I actually have it here. It is Zen, The Art of Simple Living, <laughs> which is uh, it's actually something which I wasn't planning to get. But as I was trying to film a short in a bookstore, I came across it and I quite like the book cover and I opened it up. And I think it's... Uh, Something we talked about earlier that made me think about this was that they offer a lot of um, just very cute little tips, but I think they are actually very helpful. I think the first section of the book is about just making a subtle shift in your habits for yourself. And one of them is waking up 15 minutes earlier to make time for yourself, which I thought about this book as we were talking, because I, I do think it's sometimes it's you get distracted by like wanting to make really big or grandiose changes but sometimes it's actually just starting small really helps and sometimes i need that reminder so when i saw this book and it's also very cute i'll show you the cover it looks like this it is very cute to everyone who's listening <laughs> trust me it's cute <laughs> uh, because it's very cute and i also thought it provided me with a reminder that i needed in my life i uh, decide to get it and i read a few tips every night I think it's good to have a variety of books to read. And I know that you like to read nonfiction, fiction. So it just depends on the mood. It's good to be flexible. It changes through, um, sometimes I go through periods where I read more nonfiction. But then sometimes I think that a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it is in the self-improvement sort of sphere. But I find that reading too much of that, I think, sort of clogs up my brain because I'm receiving too many tips on how to improve my life, which are the not so much the smaller things but big bigger picture but i think that sometimes you just need more time to process those things so sometimes i take a break and then i read some fiction instead mm -hmm. i like that you said just now that you were attracted to the cover i'm quite superficial when it comes to books and so do you ever feel that as a fellow reader you go to a bookstore or a library and you just feel a book just calling for you do you ever feel that that's how i pick my books i just go by <laughs> I mean, I definitely picked this was this was sitting in a pile of books that had really bland covers. And because it had a very cute cover, uh, I was like, oh, uh, let me just pick it up and look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's just how it is. I think especially if you're a visual person, then you'll you'll always be looking at that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very visual. But then I also feel like, oh, it's just calling me. I just feel it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same as even buying clothing. Sometimes you look at a rack of clothing, but there's just something about one piece that sort of makes you go look at it and it's very hard to explain i mean you can explain it in retrospect but the initial thing that pulls you it's um it's sort of like a instinctive thing exactly yeah emily i have one more question for you and that yes. is what is an experience in your life that felt like sunshine after rain i can think of one that is both that is actual sunshine and after actual rain because i live in hong kong and it rains a lot during the summer 
But I think the first one was going home back to California for the first time in four years, I believe, actually. I hadn't seen my friends and family in three due to COVID, but I hadn't been back to California in four years. So the second I stepped off the plane and I realized I could actually go home, but I also didn't need to rush because I didn't have partners and clients emailing me at all hours. And I could actually just live in the present without always thinking about or checking my work phone and just see my friends and family and just enjoy it for that was definitely the the biggest ray of sunshine. I totally understand that. And I love that you didn't need to rush. You could just spend quality time, not check your emails. I'm sure that you were able to fully relax and just enjoy the sunshine, literally and metaphorically. Yes, 100%. It was almost sad in a way because initially I got so used to, I guess, having a baseline anxiety of always checking my emails that without it, I felt like lost. Although that definitely wore off. Yeah, no, I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that. I'm also the same. On weekends, I feel some kind of itch deep in my soul. I have to check my emails. Someone is probably messaging me. <laughs> I have to reply. Yes, it's a struggle, but it's uh, it's always good to watch videos like yours and to meet people like you who are kind of going against that, creating more balance in their lives, prioritizing free time and quality time with their family and partners. So thank you so much for everything you do and for all the wonderful things that you contribute to YouTube and other platforms. And once again, thank you for being my first guest. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful host. And I really love the questions you ask because I think they're, they address a lot of topics that I normally enjoy thinking about as well. So it's really nice to share thoughts on those with you. Thank you so much. Bye.